Caitlin Clark is going pro. Caleb Williams is too, and has already cashed in on his star power. We're taking a look at the strange world of Victor Wembanyama rookie cards and what that market tells us. Plus, later I speak with Jenny Kavnar, who is breaking barriers as the first woman to be a lead play-by-play -play announcer in MLB history. It's Friday, March 1st. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The market for Victor Wembanyama rookie cards is an interesting case study of his marketability, the collectibles market in general, and some unique quirks around his deals. Front Office Sports breaking news reporter Alex Schiffer dove deep on this for an article you can read on our website, and he joins us now. Welcome, Alex. What's going on, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you back on. So you looked into the, the market for Wemby's cards. What'd you find? Nothing too, too expensive, you know, nothing you're shelling out six uh, figures for. And uh, that was kind of the interesting thing that drew me to the story, right? He's obviously been the most highly touted rookie since LeBron. They played against each other the other night, but you're not really seeing his rookie cards or, or uh, appetite for them the way you would for some of these guys in years past, right? Yeah, right. And he's someone where you might, it's not just he's he's a hot thing right now he's someone when he came into the league people were thinking he's going to be the next big star he's going to be a future hall of famer you would think getting your hands on one of those rookie cards and just preserving it that could be a good investment yeah especially you know the trading card market was booming during covid that was kind of one of the side effects that people saw you know psa said that don't send them any more cards to grade because they're at their capacity. That market kind of saw a renaissance in the COVID years, which obviously coincided with Zion Williamson's rookie year. But yeah, I mean, a year ago, one of the biggest stories in the NBA was who was going to win the draft lottery for Wemby. And obviously he went to the Spurs and, you know, he's backed up the hype. They haven't won a lot this year, but you don't really see these big guys contribute to winning immediately. And yet there just hasn't really been much of a market for him. Yeah. And is that, indicative of the card market generally the nba market something about wemby what, what's the broader story here yeah i think i think honestly you hit on the, those three things there's a answer for each of them you know we're at a time right now where fanatics is in a lawsuit an antitrust lawsuit with panini panini is the primary licensed nba card manufacturer but wemby has an autograph exclusive with fanatics so he's kind of like in the middle of this it's quite the visual, but like uh, this like legal tug of war where, you know, Panini isn't really at liberty to market him because he's not their guy. But Fanatics also doesn't have to lend him to Panini or anything like that, given they're suing him. They're suing them, not him. So uh, so it's this weird deal where you can get a licensed Wemby card with no autograph or you can get a non-licensed Wemby autograph card. And the latter tends to not really like a Topps card, a Topps Wemby card since Fanatics owns Topps doesn't have the same appeal to the the heavy collectors the way an NBA licensed card with Wemby's autograph would. So it's kind of like a catch-22 he's in the middle of. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so and is there some date at which you know, there will be licensed autographed Wemby cards, at least legally possible? Yes, for the 2025-26 season, which I think would be his third year in the NBA. So it's going to be a minute before that stuff hits shelves. But I, I'm I'm sure there'll be some anticipation for it. But it's also, you know, you think about iconic rookie cards over the years, right? Ken Griffey Jr. with that upper deck that looks like a high school yearbook photo. He's so young. 
um michael jordan with the the fleer you know wayne gretzky looking really young like there's you know those are kind of their own animal and and he's kind of not really being a part of that because of the the nature of his endorsement and the lawsuit that is kind of tangling uh fanatics with that and, and panini and this is maybe more speculative but it's something i've been thinking about recently about how so many of the top nba players are come from Europe. And I wonder if there's just an additional challenge in marketing him because he's French. Yeah, I've thought about that. But you know, I talked to someone about that very thing for the store. And they essentially said, you know, Giannis is Greek, but it's not like his cards have taken a hit from that. Um, I actually talked to some collectors in France, they didn't make it into the story, but just like how they have to order on eBay, or have a PO box in the United States that someone ships them their stuff to to make it cheaper. But um, they uh, they're having a hard time getting his card over there too. But I I don't think the international factor is uh is impacting his market just because we've seen other international stars before like Jokic and and Giannis. And this is more of the legal battle and the exclusive he has compared to what those guys dealt with. Yeah, yeah, that that, that sounds right. I mean, I, th- I think at this point, if you're an NBA fan, you should be used to all these international superstars. Anything in particular that you're watching for as this whole thing unfolds? Yeah, I guess I'm kind of curious to see, you know, the the highest current value for his rookie card went in a golden auction for 67,000. I'm just kind of curious to see like how quickly that number gets topped. You know, is there something that releases over the summer that maybe puts it in the six digits? Just when does his stuff start to really heat up if it does? That's kind of the thing I'm watching. Very interesting stuff. Alex Schiffer, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Owen. Caitlin Clark is turning pro. On the cusp of breaking Pete Maravich's record for points scored in a college career, the Iowa superstar declared that she will enter the WNBA draft this season following the NCAA tournament. The draft is on April 15th, and the Indiana Fever have the top pick. Clark had the option of staying in college one more season due to altered eligibility rules around the pandemic. There was some chatter that she might opt to stay in Iowa, in part because college basketball is a bigger stage than the WNBA, and future endorsement deals could in theory be worth more with an extra year in college. However, she's expected to make the WNBA maximum of 250 to 300000 on top of NIL deals with Nike, Gatorade, and more that pay her an estimated $900,000. Furthermore, Clark's clearly ready for the pros, and the only real tests she has left are how she compares to the best professional women's players in the country, and whether she can bring the hype that has caused sellout crowds nearly everywhere Iowa has played this year to the WNBA, as that league looks to continue its growth trajectory. Speaking of college stars, Caleb Williams is not yet in the NFL, but he's already been making more than some NFL players. The likely top pick in the NFL draft made $10 million in NIL deals over the last two years, according to The Athletic. That haul came from Wendy's, Beats by Dre, Dr. Pepper, United Airlines, PlayStation, Neutrogena, and more. But $5 million a year is just an amuse-bouche compared to what the former USC quarterback and 2022 Heisman Trophy winner could command in the NFL, and those conversations have already gone beyond money. Last year, Williams representatives asked NFL reps about the quarterback potentially taking an equity stake in whichever team drafted him. That reportedly served as motivation for the NFL to enact a new rule prohibiting non-family employees from having ownership stakes in their teams to avoid the complications and conflicts that would come with that. So Williams won't own a piece of the Bears or whichever team gets him, but he's already shown that he will look to max out on the business side any way he can. 
Up next, Jenny Kavanagh will be the voice of the Oakland Athletics this season, making her the first woman to be a lead play-by-play -play announcer for an MLB team. We spoke about the prep she's doing for the job, the boundary-breaking nature of her hire, and what it's going to be like covering a season that, as you may have heard somewhere, is not going to be a normal one. That conversation is coming up next. Very excited to be joined now by Jenny Kavanagh, lead play-by-play -play announcer for the Oakland A's on NBC Sports. Hi, how are you? Great, great to have you on. So you, what, what was it like getting the call on, or however you found out, when you learned that you got the A's job? Yeah, it, it's been a whirlwind. You know, I, I've been so um, appreciative of all the messages, text messages, friends and family, obviously, but from the baseball community and then um, just different fans reaching out. And then I think different walks of life, different people that are inspired, um, you know, by the title or the historic marks, um, you know, reaching out and sending encouragement along the way. So then obviously a, a big new job, right? Like I'm trying to prepare for an entire new organization. I've been um, in the Rockies organization the last 12 years. So, and I grew up in Colorado, you know, have a different depth of knowledge of the history of that organization. So, you know, going to Oakland, um, there's a long history there that spans three cities, perhaps soon to be four cities and, um, you know, getting to know an entire new roster of really young, exciting players. So um, it, it's been at moments like drinking out of a fire hose, but accepting the challenge and, um, you know, just taking it a moment by moment for sure. Yeah, a bunch of stuff that you mentioned that I want to get into. But in terms of that prep work, what does that entail in real terms? What are you doing to get ready for this team that you might not have been all that familiar with? Yeah, I think it's a it's a variety of things. Initially, when I, you know, I found out I got the job, it was a lot of um, reading just the history of last season and you know what happened to this team. Obvi obviously, not a very exciting year, losing 112 games, but um, trying to figure out the turnover on the roster and then just diving into what's going on at spring training. And that's always hard this time of year, no matter what team you're with, because there's 68 players and you, you don't necessarily need to have a, a, a huge depth and understanding of all of them, but um, at least, you know, have names and positions and battles and storylines down going in. And then once you get to spring training, um, for me, again, very different this year. It's a lot of meet and greet and just making sure players are familiar with who I am and that I'll be with them all season and um, calling the games and talking to them and starting to find those small connections with players, um, baseball related or otherwise, that, that you can quickly try and get to know someone. Um, and then it's a lot of uh, note taking for me right now, a lot of research on players and, and just diving into, you know, stats and numbers and, um, you know, different things that I'll need throughout the course of the year. So building, building kind of that binder, if you will, for me, and then now media guides are starting to come out. So reading those, I'm reading history books about the Oakland A's, and really just can't consume enough information. <laughs> At this point in time, how much when you're in the booth, how much do you interact with players? I mean, both, you know, on the air, but also off the air, um, you know, obviously some people we see interacting with players or we read their columns from from those interactions um, in the booth. I've always wondered how much, yeah, how much conversation there is there. Yeah, I think everyone is very different in how they approach that job. You know, for me, 
I will always approach this job as a reporter first. That's the hat I wore in this game. And so that's what I'm very comfortable with is going into a clubhouse and having a conversation with the guy. Um, I think that, that there's, you know, so much information now that you can get through a podcast or through articles or, you know, uh, even just different statistical websites that you can bring into the booth and you can study and you can, you can prepare and you'd be fine calling a game. But for me, it's the personal interaction. And I want to be authentic in that as I bring that to the booth and as fans watch the game, finding that connection for them to players. And so I think it's important for me um, to be down there and having those conversations and being the one, um, you know, communicating and then reporting what I'm communicating on the air. And and I also think it's it's important for me just to be around and be seen by the players. You know, I, I'm a part of the grind like they are and doing what they do. And a lot of the games I'm going to be calling this year are on the road. And there's just a different access to players when you're when you're on the road because there's a different you know media contingency going there's not as many uh, members of the media there they don't have the distractions of home and their family um and so you know i feel like players kind of not let their guard down per se but like they're just easier to have conversations with and get to know on the road you're of course the first female lead announcer in mlb history and i believe the first in any of the four major sports in the u.s the same time as we we're just talking about you have a job to do the same way any other announcer does I'm wondering where and how the fact that you're breaking boundaries enters into your thought process around all of this. Yeah, well, luckily I'm not the first because um, in the NBA, Kate Scott and Lisa Byington are both primary leads um, play by play, which is so cool. And, you know, they broke that barrier last year. And so I've really been able to use them as a resource of, you know, what's to come upon me as, as I enter this challenge in my career, this new opportunity. And so, um, you know, I, I'm very grateful that there are resources for me to rely on and to ask questions of and, and how great they've both been. Um, and then also Susan Baldwin's been around the game for a long time um, in the Yankees organization doing radio um, as an analyst for decades. Melanie Newman's calling games um, for the Baltimore Orioles. So it, it's really neat to have people that you can just, you know, kind of call and ask questions that are females in this game. But um, to your point there, you know, being a primary television play-by-play and being a first of that, um, I, I think there's a responsibility to just um, dive into the job, lean into the job. You know, you, you want to do the best that you can do. And again, uh, up to this point, I've been, you know, backup play-by-play. So I've only called about 15 baseball games a season. I also call college basketball and have, you know, that depth of history. But I have to trust my instinct that what's going to come out and how I'm going to call a game and, and getting to be with a new television partner in Dallas Braden and a new producer and a new team. However, game one's going to sound, game 162 hopefully will sound very different in a way of growth. And so I have to know that to be true. For the last 17 years I've been in baseball, I've experienced the season of growth and how it changes not only for players, but for broadcasters and all those things. So I'm um, just relying on that. But I- I'm excited for that opportunity to you know, be, be a face of something is a huge privilege and um, being able to open that door a little bit more for women in sports and, and provide a, a visual for the next generation of girls that a lot of opportunities are available in a lot of different capacities in sports. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just, you know, it's, I've gotten more and more used to hearing female voices on broadcast. You know, first it was kind of like mostly sideline reporters and then analysts and, and now, you know, more, more people in, you know, play by play. So yeah, it's, it's just very cool to see. Um, and obviously it's a job that, you know, there's no real reason why one gender would be favored over the other other than history. So um, yeah, it's nice to just start to level things out a little. 
Uh, Dallas Braden is going to be your lead analyst. Uh, Chris Carey, also part of the team. Is there ever going to be a three-person booth, or, or how does Chris factor in? Yeah, no, Chris Carey will be um, doing the other games that I'm not doing. So it's very exciting for all of us because I think you know, Chris is taking on, he's jumping from the minor leagues to the major leagues. And so all of us being able to rely on each other, though, and, and how we want to grow this broadcast and what we want this broadcast to look like, whether it's, you know, I'm in the lead play-by-play seat or Chris is in the play-by-play seat. And um, I love that it's going to be different perspectives for fans. I think that's important throughout the course of a year. Again, it's a very long season. And I think for fans to be able to tune in each night and kind of hear different voices, hear different perspectives, more importantly, um, I, I hope that's cool to them to, to have the variety there. But you know, Dallas has obviously been doing this um, for, for a couple of years now. And he is in Oakland A. It's in his blood. We're going to rely on him so much for um, that history and that knowledge. But also Dallas is a very good friend of mine. He grew up um, with my husband and they played baseball together in their youth. And he's very close to my family. So I bring in um, right away, Dallas and I bring in this this longstanding history with each other. And um, I know his big personality and I'm excited to find ways to to just continue to bring that out and um, be able to share that stage with him is pretty special. Yeah, actually, I was about to ask. I didn't know you had that familiarity with him, but yeah, he's very much a character. Uh, you know, he's fun to yes. you know, the energy he brings to to the that, a lot to the of TV. energy. Yes, I'll be drinking a lot of Celsius or Red Bull <laughs> or something <Yeah. laughs> to keep up. A lot of yeah, coffee. and when you're thinking about how you're going to approach the job, how does you know this character next to you factor into how you approach it? Yeah, it's huge. I think. Um, my personal belief in a play-by-play person is that their job is to make their analysts shine. They're, they're the person that played this game. They're the one who's been on the field before, who has you know an, an in-depth knowledge of what is happening down there. And so I, I think it's very important to know the personality of that person, what brings out passion in them, what they enjoy talking about, and steering them and steering that conversation and making that your guiding light throughout the course of a broadcast. I think it just makes it better when um, you know they're the ones that are center stage in all of it. So really, I think knowing Dallas and his personality and all those things that I am, that's in the back of my mind as I'm preparing for this job. And um, when I'm studying and researching and you know putting together different staff, or putting together different storylines or backgrounds on players, it's like definitely earmarking places where I'm like, oh, Dallas would love that, or this would you know get him going on this, or he'd find a connection there. So really, kind of making that a, a focal point for sure. Yeah, uh, you alluded earlier to how this is going to be a unique season, and the the team is planning to move to Vegas. Still not sure where they're playing next in 2025. Mm-hmm. How are you going to handle that narrative? It's going to be present in some form throughout this whole season. Yeah, I don't think you can ignore it, right? It's definitely part of it. But at the same time, I think when I was hired to do play-by-play, the action is on the field. It's first pitch to last pitch. And so I do want my focus to remain in that. But you have to understand what's going on um, around the team and for the fans and for this game. And um, so I'm very much aware of it. You know, obviously reading just like anyone else who's involved and, and trying to understand the scope of what the next couple of years bring for them before the Vegas move. Um, but I also, I think I admire that so much about Oakland A's fans. Like they are a passionate, loyal group that spans generations, you know, generations of not just being in Oakland, but being in Kansas City, being in Philadelphia. Like th- this is an organization that has history going back decades. And so, um, you know, being able to kind of 
try and understand that history and the success and sometimes, you know, the money ball aspect and players constantly changing, like, like there's a lot going on that, that can get overwhelming. And so again, I think bringing that focus back to the 2024 team and what's on the field and the things we can control. And I think it'd be a disservice if we constantly were distracting from the players that are currently in an Oakland A's uniform, because there's a lot of great storylines of young major league talent. You don't want to miss a season of growth for them because they're, they're going to spawn into players, whether it's with the Oakland A's or wherever the Oakland A's end up in a city or whether they get traded to another team, like this is their time as well. And so I, I will always go back to that being a focus between first pitch and last pitch. Just in terms of the fans piece of this, I, I feel like as someone who's tracked, you know, this whole narrative of them trying to stay in Oakland and then, you know, the move and everything. Um, I feel like the fans in many ways have become the main characters of this story. Uh, Las Vegas leadership, Nevada, they're all factors here too, but it's just going to be interesting to see, you know, how, how they continue to be part of this narrative as we have actual games going on and the games will be a welcome distraction, but at the same time, it's, um, there's going to be this, this backdrop, you know, there's going to be signs and, and chants throughout uh, the season probably. Uh, so yeah, it'll just be interesting to, to see and, um, you know, a, a unique challenge, I think for you. Yeah, no, I, I'm not naive to any of that. I absolutely see that as, as a challenge and something that's present and something that, you know, we'll have to, to, to understand how to respond to. But I've been asked this question a lot. And I, I think until I'm in the Coliseum calling a game, I'm not sure you can really plan and prepare, um, you know, for how that will look. So again, I, I think the planning preparing can be for what's in front of you. And that's, you know, this team and, and the excitement of a brand new season. And so I, I'm really going to try and focus on that as much as I can. Um, I want to say all that with, I see the fans, I see them for sure. And I see how loyal they are. And I see, um, you know, all the emotions that are going on around this. And I'm not naive to that at all. Yeah. Jenny Kavner, looking forward to hearing you in the booth. And thanks so much for joining us on the show. Awesome. Thanks for the time. That's it for today. Subscribe to the show and share this episode with a friend you think would enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday.